welcome to another episode of TOTS. I'm your host, Ben Gardner. Today on the show, we have Claire Conway. She's the COO and co-owner of Ringlet, a digital marketing agency. Claire, welcome to the show. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk with you today. Absolutely. Uh, so we've had a couple of conversations before this point. Uh, you know, we both went to the same school, Catholic U, and uh, I saw recently that you were named on the Forbes 1000 uh, entrepreneurs list. So I figured it would be good for us to have a conversation and to uh, to hear what you've been up to. Yeah, I um, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk today because I know that you um, have, have a lot of listeners who I think maybe are, have, are pretty ambitious. I would say I'm pretty interested in what you talk about. So I'm excited to talk to them today and to talk to you. Um, but yeah, I was recently featured um, on Forbes, the next a thousand. So Forbes next a thousand is about entrepreneurs who are redefining the American dream. I'm not exactly sure that I'm deserving of that title, but um, it was a great, it was a great feature. Um, and I'm excited that like the opportunities that have come from it. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah. tell me a little bit about Ringlet and how you got started with them. Yeah, so Ringlet is a digital marketing agency that's kind of trying to revolutionize women's independence through inclusive leadership and real honest business support. So we offer a space for women and small businesses to be heard, to get what they need in order to scale and to increase their impact on communities. So that's like how we're trying to really make our impact and make a space for ourselves. So Ringlet was started in 2017 by Elise Gallagher, who is also a CUA alumni. Um, Love and, it. Uh, she started freelancing and then started to really develop uh, marketing for all different small business clients, specifically women-owned. Um, I was working with the Sioka Center for Principled Entrepreneurship, and I was working in the Inner City Capital Connections program, and I had worked a ridiculous number of internships. I'd been doing a lot of insane work. I'd already started a couple of LLCs. And so in 2018, I joined her and then became eventually became a co-owner. We took on investors um, and we've grown our client book. We've worked with hundreds at this point of small businesses to help them to scale their revenue. Um, and we work day to day in like the growth and scaling of businesses that are either trying to hit the million dollar mark or they're above the million dollar mark and are trying to continue to grow sustainably and marketing comes in to solve those questions. Sure. Yeah, that's really cool. So uh, Elise starts the company mm -hmm. and how long after she started did you come on the scene? So I came on June of 2018. So she had about a year and a half um, having started the company and having been trying to grow and grow her client book. Um, she, it's actually funny, but she, I reached out to her because I wanted to, like, I wanted to find a mentor in marketing. And so I asked if she would get coffee with me and I brought my portfolio and I brought like my analytics reports from things I had worked on. I brought a bunch of marketing things and I was showing her like my work. And then a couple of days later, she emailed me a job offer. <laughs> and so like, <laughs> she, she thought it was an interview and I thought it was a mentorship. So I was like, Oh, perfect. Like <laughs> why not? And I had had like, I was about to take a pretty big job um, in a corporate space, but I didn't want to do that. Like, I really wanted to be in the small business space. So I started with Ringlet with, like, five hours a week. And at the time, she said she remembers, like, she was working with her husband, like, how am I going to make the, how am I going to afford these five hours? Um, and the five hours quickly turned to 40, which quickly turned to 60, which quickly turned to 80. But, <laughs> um, 
it's just so funny because she like she and I have typically amazing communication. It's just funny that in that first interaction, um, I was so aggressive with this portfolio that she thought she stumbled into a job interview uh, for a role she didn't have yet. But it's I mean, it's wow. it's been a great partnership and she's a she's a great business leader. She's really great with communications and messaging. And so I came in to really answer that like scaling and financial piece because marketing at its core is like product price place and promotion. Uh, and so I'm really yep. good with that at product and price. And she's really good with the place and promotion. So we're able to really cover the bases. That's awesome. And yeah. you worked your way up pretty quickly there. Like you said, you increased your hours a lot and then uh, worked your way up to co-owner in, in a few short years. What was that process like for you guys? Yeah. So I think that's kind of, it's interesting because a lot of times I think people would see a co-owner role, not really think like if people love entrepreneurship, they think oh, I'll just start something of my own. Um, but I think that there's a lot that exists that's really cool. And that like, if you love the mission of something else, why not go be a part of it before starting your own thing or before, like, it doesn't have to be just yours. There's a lot of power in what you can do for a small brand that you believe in the mission in. So I, um, I was, I really wanted this and I really, I came from a family that has, that doesn't really, not really a businessy family. It's not really a businessy background, but I was like running lemonade stands. I was, I started an LLC at 15. I was working a lot of jobs. I really loved to work and I loved business. And so I came on and I knew that if we increased the client book, it would increase my hours. So then and I also knew that I wanted like female leadership. I, I came from a business school that had a lot of male leadership. There was a, a, the classes were at the time I was there, like 70% men, 30% women. I really yep. wanted female leadership. Um, and so I just figured like if I put myself around women that I admired, I'd eventually become like them. So I got a job with Ringlet. I was working for a market research consultancy firm, which was great. That got, gave me a lot of technical skills. And then I started working places that like I wanted Ringlet to represent. So I got a job at like a nail salon at the front desk as a front desk manager because I could get free manicures. I thought that the owner of the nail salon was an incredible businesswoman in DC. Um, worked for them for like eight months before they came on as a Ringlet client. And then I could wow. leave there. And now they're still a Ringlet client. They've been with us since 2018. So um, but I loved those owners. I really believed in their mission and I was able to like link the two. I worked for, um, a photography company who's the owner. I really admired the way she had built her business and what she was doing. And she was so like money driven. And I loved the ambition linked with like exactly how to make like increase and grow the business. And so I worked with her for a while, set up her operations, got her a lot of hours, brought her over to Ringlet for a while. She worked with Ringlet and then, um, I helped her to design the roles that she needed next. I helped her with her interview process and then got her, like we got other people hired for her and then I was able to leave and go to Ringlet and use the hours I had just grown. Um, and I did that a couple of times. I was working a couple of things at once, but it kept me busy, but it also kept me like, I think the best role was that front desk manager at the nail salon because I, it kept me so sharp on the customer service that I think early in your career, it's really easy, whatever role you go into, especially if it's in business, like to get really technical. But that customer service is a skill that no matter what your field is, if you don't have customer service skills, you're not going to be able to like grow into management positions. 
Um, and that that role of like people at a really high end nail salon, it's like spa quality. People there demand mm-hmm. great customer service, and they do give like a Ritz Carlton experience. Um, so that really helped me. It was a lot of fun, um, and I got manicures all the time. So that was it was like an there added value. Nice it was an part. added value, a little something fun at the end of the week. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was it was a crazy ride, and then I kept, but I kept working because I understood that like my input would mean more hours at Ringlet, and so then I think Elise right. saw that, and then Elise saw the skill set I brought, and we realized that like we would have a really good partnership, and I think I was the first one to say like I would take equity. Like she was like, I can't, I can't give you like this, but I can do this, and I was like, well, I'll take equity, and she was like, yeah, and I was like, yeah, I will, like. I believe in this mission enough that I would take the risk and trade my work for equity if you're willing to give it. And she was, she felt like she needed a partner at the time and it worked out. That's awesome. So you were literally getting clients because you would go and see these women that you admired that had built businesses. You'd go work for them for a little bit. And then you'd say, Hey, like, listen, Mm -hmm. I've got this other thing that, that you really need to check out. And then they would become your clients. Yeah. Yeah, I would literally work That's awesome. a bunch of jobs until they would come over. And it and it worked because like whatever I was providing for them at their business, I had way more support at Ringlet. Like I had a business partner who right. had a skill set I didn't have. There was other team members, we had a designer. Like it made sense because it really helped them grow too to like not just have me for this one skill set, but instead to come over and see what happens when the skill set 10x is through the agency. So it was it was a solid model, but it took some time. It took some time and some serious hours. That's some that's some real sweat equity right there. <laughs> like like working for it. Wow, that's awesome. I think they liked. The, I think they liked that too. They liked that I was working for them. They liked that I um, believed in both missions enough to be there, and I liked that I got to see these amazing women at work, and I got to see the way that they managed their team and the way that they like put their beliefs and values into the mission of a business. Um, it helped me to grow much faster than staying in one role would have. Sure. That's nice. huge. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, being able to take, you know, your skill set that you had with a couple of the P's out of the five for marketing mm-hmm. and then forming that partnership with somebody who kind of filled in where you might be lacking and you fill in what they might be lacking. Like that's how you start a beautiful partnership right there. Uh, has it always been like good communication? You guys agree on everything or have there been some rough patches? So I think that um, we're both very cognizant of what we're building and the mission. And so typically like it, our communication is pretty great. Like I, I can't lie. It's pretty good communication. Communication can always be better. I, I wrote our communication policies at the business and I call it like the four C's, like a diamond standard, same way as you look at a diamond, you should look at communication of like clear, concise, constructive, and creative. And so we aim to have those things covered in our communication. But I think also like we do so many personality test results. We do so much understanding of each other that like, it's really hard for us to have poor communication if we know each other so well. So like, we're really aware of like, okay, here's what your motivators are. Here's what your demotivators are. Here's what your working genius is. Here's what mine is. And like a lot of our personality type is similar. Um, so I think maybe the team, maybe the team might say, they might be like, those two have trouble 
they they're too big like they're doing a million things at once like they might be like wow they but together we do a lot like we're a lot of the times on the same page we're delivering Mm -hmm. ideas and concepts and new ventures to the team a lot and typically we're even doing that well but i think a lot of it has to do with like our own self-knowledge and being really aware of where our our strengths and where our flaws are but also like the ability to understand the other person and approach it with empathy and with like a sense of like, I want to build this thing. We both are on board for the mission. Um, the mm-hmm. only times when communication is tough is if one of us is experiencing mission drift. So if we've taken on like a particularly draining client that doesn't align with the mission, or if we're like doing work that really is not where we thrive, um, we'll feel mission drift, which is just when you're feeling really a lot further from what was like fueling you. Um, and when you sure. feel far from what motivates you, it's really hard to get back up to that. Like it's, it feels like, right. it, it feels like the closer you get back to that motivator, the like, it still feels like you're being pulled back. It's like walking against a current. Um, but the mission drift is something that we just try to stay aware of so that we are always keeping things on our plate um, that keep us motivated. There's actually, if anybody's tangibly looking for how to do this, there's a new type of test results out for work um, it's called the Working Genius. So I'm getting certified in it right now. Um, it's it's from the same author of this Five Dysfunctions of a Team. There's these six Working Genius, and it pretty much breaks down that at work there are six zones of genius that people fall into, and everybody has two zones of genius, two things that like to do it doesn't feel like work. Like they feel truly like this is fun. This is easy for me to do. And because it's easy, it doesn't feel like what work typically feels like, but it's a zone of genius. So it comes very easily. And then there's zones of competencies. So there's things that like you're very competent in, you're able to do, it doesn't drain you to do it, but it feels like work, but it's your, you can do this. And then there's areas of frustration and those areas of frustration, it hurts the team to have you working in that type of work. Like it hurts the team to have you there because you're getting frustrated you're getting demotivated and it feels even harder than normal work so we took that i'm getting certified as a facilitator to help move it along for all of our clients and our team because that was really eye-opening for us so like elise has the genius of invention so she likes to start with a blank page she likes to like create something new out of nothing and she's this genius of wonder I have the frustration of wonder. I do not like to sit and ponder. <laughs> like, I do not like You're to not a ponder. philosopher. Okay. No, no, no. But I have the genius of discernment. So I, I like to, mm. rather than a blank page, I like to be able to take look at something and figure out how to fix it, figure out how to make it successful, figure out how to, like, really make it the best it could possibly be and tinker with it until it's going to be great. And then my other zone of genius is galvanizing. So getting the rest of the team on board in order to push it forward and get it moving. Um, So once we like figured those out and that's been really helpful in the partnership of like, okay, I can't, you need to find somebody else to wonder with because it really drains me. (laughs) Like thinking about the world's (laughs) problems really drains me. And for her, like wondering sparks that invention. But once I have the invention she's created, I can discern it, and really strengthen it and make it something that's going to make money and make, like impact and help people. And then I can get the team on board for it. So it does complement each other. Well, yeah. Do you go through these kinds of things with your clients in terms of helping them set up better forms of communication internally? 
Yeah, we do. We go through, it depends on what we're working on. If we're working in coaching, we really help them with that. Um, if we're working in brand management, we'll help, but we'll also like put communication standards in place that like, here's mm -hmm. what we expect of you and here's what you should expect of us. Um, and we do help them to really determine that because a lot of entrepreneurship is self-knowledge. Like it's really being self-aware of what you're like, where you're really strong and where you're really weak and being able to cover the blind spots. So we do, I do do this with a lot of clients because you want to make them feel like they aren't constantly up, like fighting an uphill battle. So as easy as you right. can make, as easy as you can make things for them is the more successful they're going to be because you can't expect everyone to be an expert in everything. So if I can bring my expertise and they can bring their like insane product development or like amazing restaurant or their like beautiful jewelry, they're designing, like they bring that I'll bring the business portion and then the team will bring the like promotion messaging and marketing portion. Yeah. See, I just think it's so interesting because you're telling me that ringlet is a digital marketing agency mm -hmm. from what I'm seeing. A lot of it is digital marketing, but you're also bringing so much value that doesn't necessarily fall under that lens. It's like very consultative in terms of processes and scaling. Yeah. So that's where like the, within our mission, they're like revolutionizing independence through inclusive leadership and real honest business support. That's where we're really trying to like close the gap because marketing only works as hard as the functions behind it. And I think a lot right. of times like modern day marketing, people will, will reach out and be like, oh, well, just make me a TikTok that goes viral. Okay. Well, if your website doesn't look good or if you're, you can't handle the volume that's going to come in from going viral, I can't make you a viral TikTok. I have to first fix this pricing issue or this, like, I have to help you figure out how to communicate with your team that needs like to know what this new production is going to be, or they need to be a part of X, Y, or Z. Like, I think you have, it's taking that step back so that like the entrepreneurs can feel heard, but that they also understand that they're, that we're invested in their ability to scale. Um, and that we are invested in the impact they care about making. So while yes, it's a little far from digital marketing, it's also, it shouldn't be like, it should, the marketer should care yeah. that whatever they're like great marketing shouldn't feel like marketing. Cause it should feel like you genuinely need to bring this solution to the customer segment. Like you genuinely need to tell that story. You need to get it to them because you so firmly believe that this product service or offering is a solution to somebody's problem, no matter how big or small. So, and it's easier to do that once you've bought in on the mission, you're bought in on the CEO or entrepreneur behind the business and you're bought in on the way that the business functions. Yeah, that's huge. Cause I think, you know, kind of like I just did people simplify marketing and even as a marketing major into certain categories and they say, okay, well, sometimes it falls under sales. Sometimes sales falls under it, but like that's the majority of it is branding and selling and things like that. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize that without some of these solutions for the rest of the business, you can do whatever on the marketing side. It's not going to work if it's not going to gel with how the company operates. So that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think like you think of marketing as like, oh yeah, it's how you present yourself to the world. It's how you present yourself or your brand to the world. That still has yourself in it. Like there's still a big portion that has to be built. Yeah. So you have to really like, you do have to step back and define it and then, and support people. And again, like everybody shouldn't have to be an expert. So you should bring in people to help and to help you grow that and help you figure it out. Because I'm like 
at this point, having seen a lot of entrepreneurs working so hard and having gotten through, having seen like we were heavy in the restaurant and service industry in the, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, mm-hmm. having seen a lot of these people achieve and like come through some pretty tough business challenges. I am not putting value or weight in people that said they do it all, did it all by themselves because why would you like, if you are an incredible chef, why would you try to do accounting? There's no need. Like I'm not really that impressed by somebody who's like, I did every single thing myself to me. I'm like, okay, well we have control issues because you shouldn't have to do that. You should you should know that there's resources and people available. And even if you're like, oh, I, c- I can't afford this just yet, reach out and see what payment plans are available. I think a lot of times like people forget that like we do want to be adaptive and helpful and like people do want to be a part of the business and they want, they want their, ser- they also want to sell their services. See what makes it work, negotiate a contract. Like it's, I think it's like, it, you can definitely find people to help, but if you focus on what you're good at, you can make way more money than if you are only spending 20 minutes a day on what you're good at and everything else is like bookkeeping, marketing, team management, production, like whatever else. Like that's, that's really tough. That's very hard to run a business that way. It's a lot easier when you spend all your time doing the thing that you know makes money and asking everybody else and bringing people in and bringing in a community to help you do the rest of it. Yeah. Because why would you spend time doing something that you're not good at or that you don't enjoy. Yeah. And like, not to say that, like, not to say that there's no value in learning new skills. You definitely should be also always learning new skills. It's just that if it's taking time away from the thing that made you excellent and made you want to build the business, doesn't it make you kind of sad to like be so far <laughs> off from the like thing that you like likely were like, I want freedom. I want this. I want to revolutionize and make impact with my mission. And now you're like, struggling to make a TikTok when there are people who are really good at making TikToks. Like there are people that are really good at doing right. social media. Like, and even like, and also like, if you want to learn it, just bring someone in to teach you. Don't, don't just like, just keep trying. Like, I think it's, it's, it's fine to like learn and be bad at something. It's really good to like have that growth mindset, but also like there's a community of people ready to support the mission. You just have to find them and ask them for help and they will help you. Um, and that's something that's kind of, I think in entrepreneurship, we value a lot of the, like, I built this completely on my own, but that's really hard to do. And it also would tell me that there's cracks in the building because you can't be an right. expert in everything. I would question some of the quality of that work if they're really, really good at one specific thing, but they're doing everything for themselves. Yeah, because like I, there's a lot of things I can't do, but my team members can do them. So it's covered. Like I just, I wouldn't right. pretend, I wouldn't pretend to sell to somebody the ability to do photography because yeah, photography is a part of marketing, but I can't do it. So I can't pretend and go like start taking pictures for somebody. I have, we have a photographer on the team. Like we have people who can do that. So like that there's like a distribution of labor that plays to everybody's talents and skills. Sure. Talk to me a little bit about why small businesses. Cause I am, small business obsessed, just like I know Ringlet is. Mm -hmm. And I I always like talking to people that feel the same way because everybody has different reasons, but I think it falls down to a couple of things. So why are you and Ringlet so focused on small business in particular? Yeah, it's a really good question. And there's a million reasons that I love small businesses. 
But I think that it really has to do with the impact on a community. Um, for me, the reason that I think small businesses is so important or so important is that they have direct impact on a community. They can hire from within their community. They can, they can like make changes within their township or area. They can create, they can create, like they just can create so much for their direct community, whether it's their family and friends or their team, like the ability and gift that hiring is to a small business owner. They, like when you have the ability to hire somebody, the power that that is that that's, can really change somebody's life or can really like change the way that your industry looks. And that's the coolest part to me about small business is like that thoughtful goal driving care. Like the people who run a boutique in Philadelphia, like here where I am in Philadelphia, that they're, they're going to care way more about their, like their neighborhood and what, and how, they can get people jobs and how they can impact like things that are going on and how they can make a difference. They're going to care that like their sidewalk is shoveled when it snows and that it's safe to walk on in a very different way than Walmart is going to care. And that's like, I don't know. I, I saw um, Cheryl Sandberg, who's the COO of formerly Facebook now meta. And she talked about how we need to see large corporations shift, including meta in thinking that their target audience and the people they serve are direct consumers. They need to see that shift as like they serve the small businesses because the small businesses serve the consumers because there's no way that you can have a relationship as a consumer with some of these like mega businesses beyond corporations. You They can't build relationships with consumers in the way that small businesses that are like even like those multi, even multi-million dollar small businesses, like there's no way they can build a relationship these small ones have. Small businesses, aside from impacting their communities, they also make their consumers feel seen. And like they make them feel like their problems, whatever they are, can be solved and that they like can have what they want and that they like, their concerns are valid and that they like deserve if it's whatever it is, like they can, they really build into that like consumer mindset like they really can empower a consumer in just a, such a unique and special way that small businesses really deserve the support and the funding and the resources because of the relationships they build with their communities and their consumers and um like their area or nation at a whole at whole what sure. about you why do you love small businesses yeah that's First of all, that's a fantastic answer. Um, small business for me, I feel like I identify with more, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to be scrappier. You're not getting the resources or attention as these larger businesses, but a lot of times you're competing directly with them. There's always like that example of, you know, you've your mom and pop, like general store down the street from Walmart or Target or Dollar General. And it's, you know, sometimes I feel like it's it's out of uh, context a little bit, but I think the main message rings true is that smaller businesses have that backbone in America as like, this is the support system in mm -hmm. terms of the economy, in terms of local resources and care. Nobody does it better than small businesses, but they get the least amount of attention. So I feel like, you know, to be cliche, it's like, you know, you want to root for the underdogs because the underdogs, you know, they deserve it more. You feel like they worked harder for it than somebody who can come in and, you know, they come into a new area, they put up a new store and then they spend 
five million on marketing in a tiny metropolitan area because they want to push everybody else out. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think um, going off of that, it's like the small businesses, they're, they care about their mission. Like the person who like at the coffee shop at the end of my block, it's an amazing bakery. They won best croissants in Philadelphia. I'm a big fan. Ooh, but like, what is it called? It's called fits and starts. Sadly, okay. sadly, it is closing its doors, which is upsetting. No, I know. Really upsetting. Damn. I know. Really, really upsetting. I'm, I'm in there like, any chance that this croissant purchase is putting you guys over the edge that you'll stay open? They're like, <laughs> but I like, and it's sad to see that kind of stuff happen. But I, those people that work there care so much more about that small business closing and what that means to the neighborhood. And like, I went in there the other day and they're like, well, where are you going to start going for pastries? I was like, I don't know. But also, do you, do you care? Like, you care where I'm going to start going? They care, like, yeah. That's what's so cool is that like, if a Starbucks closed on my street, they would be like, and their employees bye. too would be like, bye, <laughs> I'm going to go get a job somewhere else. Like, they just wouldn't care in the same way that like, these small bit, like the people who bring on this mission, like they're so excited to be a part of the mission. And, and you see small businesses, like we represent a couple of really amazing restaurants, but you see small businesses who are like, you know what, there's a huge issue with the restaurant service, like in restaurant service. And like, people are not, they're, they're taking such big risks. <laughs> they were taking such big risks during the pandemic to come out and keep these restaurants open. So like they put in the 22% service charge and maybe it did, maybe it affected the consumer's relationship with the restaurant, but they cared more about their employees. I did not see any big yeah. chain restaurants putting service charges in. I saw a lot of small ones working hard to make sure that they could cover the, like that they could pay their employees and help them to cover their expenses. But I didn't see a single Applebee's put a service charge in to make sure their employees were protected. But I saw a lot of restaurants doing it. And that's like, to me, that's like such a power in that like you, like you have people who are genuinely cared for wherever they are in that small business. That's huge as well in terms of like getting down to the lowest level of people at some of these businesses, people that would be forgotten in mm -hmm. a larger company. Uh, you know, a small business is like, well, yeah, without Jenny or Joe, like I wouldn't be able to run my operation. So they get treated better. They get more responsibility. They're looked at in a different way, more respect and dignity versus, you know, if you're working for one of these massive companies, it's like the turnover is insane. They don't really give a shit who you are. It's just like, yeah, I just needed to fill that position. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I've always worked. So I first, like I started working at a very, I like started working as soon as I could. If I could convince one of my mom's friends to like, let me be her mother's helper. Like when I wasn't even old enough to be a babysitter. Um, but my town that I'm from is called Phoenixville. And I went to grade school there. And then there's, it's a, it's a street of like all small businesses along this main street. And throughout my life, there was a developer that was just so thoughtful in how he developed the businesses there. There's not a single Starbucks, but there are like bakeries and like coffee shops and restaurants and bars. And it has now like the highest amount of breweries per capita based on this town and real estate like, okay. in this neighborhood now because of his work. It's it's comparable to like Philadelphia. But what he did wow. in this town was so amazing in, in the development but I worked in those small businesses. So like I had my parents at first, my parents who were raised in Phoenixville were like, Ooh, I don't know if we want you working on main street. Like it wasn't really like a place <laughs> where you'd want your 15 year old daughter to like go work. 
but I worked at the coffee shop, Steel City Coffee Shop. And I worked there in the mornings. And then I would work like on weekends, I'd work like 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. I'd take an hour break, sit, sit around, probably hand out some free biscotti or free coffee to whoever was still in the shop. Oh, like, yeah. Go, yep. go down to the chocolate shop, check on her, get a blueberry with get a little stack of blueberries with a uh, dark chocolate on top. And then I'd go across the street to the restaurant Pepperoncini's where I was the hostess and I'd work. And then they'd, they'd pay me under the table at the end of the night. I'd get some nice tips. They like knew everybody. Yep. And then like, I would maybe go like meet a friend at another restaurant or do something. And that, and like, I was always like, I was like the baby of everywhere where I worked. So I was always so jealous that like all of the employees of all of the restaurants got to go um they got to go to the pickering inn to go drink together at the end of the day and i was like my mom was picking me up <laughs> um, my mom was picking me up and i was like waving to my like 27 year old friends who i was working with like <laughs> but i like that community feel still is there today but that small business like knowing those owners and watching them like stress out about like did we have enough tables tonight did we do x y or z like and having them like kind of like rely a little on a teenager like it just gave me like a sense of like, it gave me a really good work ethic because I cared that their businesses did well. I cared. I hate that I keep using the Starbucks example, but like I cared more than I think any Starbucks employee about my little barista job. Yeah. I really, I wanted those people to like what they were doing. I was always giving like extra things or trying to make sure that they liked it or seeing if they were coming back for open mic night. Um, and at the restaurant, I was like encouraging people. If I saw somebody who was on a first date, I'd be like telling the bartender, Lori, like, send like an extra thing over they're on a date <laughs> which i'm sure they're like why is this 15 year old girl keep looking over at this date but <laughs> it's fun like that small business feel is fun and then like once i got on the business end of it and started doing internships and i did a couple of corporate internships but i didn't have that same power that i loved had like power but like that same influence and power that you get at a small business to like make somebody else's day is really nice like it's it's a really yeah I don't know. It's such a fun part of community that you want to replicate that and you want to see these small businesses get bigger and scale and still replicate that culture because it's it's possible to continue to replicate, especially in like a digital age. Um, but it's, a, it's a lot of fun. And then it's fun now like to work with like micro businesses and then work with major businesses because we have coaching over resources where I'm working one-on-one with entrepreneurs for eight mm. week time periods. And then we have like huge businesses over at the agency that are still qualified as small, but they like being able to see like the difference between the two and helping people to grow. It's really nice to have that diversity of work and to see the impact each mission has. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you also touched on something uh, with small businesses, which is, I think, you know, to put a word on it is freedom. Like you have so much less bureaucracy and like, not consequences per se, but like, like you were saying, like you can send stuff over for free or like you can do this, you can do that. You can be a little more flexible with some of these larger businesses. If you're working for them, it's like you're, you're very regimented in what you mm -hmm. can and can't do. And I think that's why small businesses are so much more fun is because you have the freedom to be able to make some of these decisions that you would never be able to do with these larger companies. Yeah. And even that like freedom, but I also love the like high risk. I love the feeling of like, oh, yeah. I have the freedom to make something really good for somebody or I could really screw it up. And that pressure of like, <laughs> Ooh, this is somebody's livelihood. Like that is, yep. it's, it's such a fun driver where like, I think 
I don't know. Like I was my, um, um, my mom was talking to me and she was like, do you think that you would ever, I was like, I love my job. Whatever. I was like, do you think you would ever work somewhere corporate? And I was like, no, like at this point, if somebody asked me to file paperwork before I had got to do a project, like, I think I would, I think I couldn't do it. I was like, I don't know how I would get out. Done. Of, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know how to get out of bed and continue that kind of work without the like high, the high pressure of like, I can really make a difference today alone. Like how I work, how I choose to work today and the ethic I decide to, the ethics I decide to bring into my work day today is going to impact people today, which is such a cool feeling. It's so u- unique to small businesses. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. You guys also focus a lot on uh, female owned or operated mm-hmm. businesses. I was talking to some of my female friends this week uh, in business, just about their experiences. And uh, I gotta say, you know, as, as a dude, it's interesting to hear those different perspectives. I've worked mostly for female bosses, which I think is a, a unique experience. Most people mm-hmm. don't have that. Uh, but I was talking to one of them that's a manager this week, and she was telling me about uh, a person under her who was being insubordinate. And she was describing this interaction. And all I could think of in the back of my head is like, there's no way in hell this dude would be saying this to like a male manager. Mm-hmm. Like just the attitude and like disagreeing with the decision. It's like, that's that's your superior and there's no respect there. So from yeah. your perspective, I'm sure having dealt with some of that, how does that drive what you guys do at Ringlet? And why is that so important to you? Yeah, I think it's about it's a lot about equity and equality, right? So we wanna we wanna create space for leaders that look different from each other. We don't wanna create like an army of women that lead like men. We want to create space where any person of any minority group can lead how they see fit and can help people to understand that like leadership doesn't all look one type of way. It it looks maybe in some ways more thoughtful or more empathetic. For some people, it looks more contemplative. For some people, it looks more like production driven. They really want to show you what they can do. For some other people, it looks more like support driven. They want to push their team and it's about redefining what a good leader is because in those situations it's a, and in those situations where like you're not feeling respected it's about being able to say like i don't know what made you think that you could speak to me this way but if you want to pause the meeting and move and until you can come back in a more professional tone i'd be happy to do that and it's about feeling like i can absolutely say that i can let somebody know that that's a boundary that i'm going to hold for myself because i think a lot of times when there's so much pressure to be a leader that where other leaders don't look like you, you want to just copy what other people are doing, but you have to lead yourself. Like you also have to be the leader that you wish you had. So it's, it's a very like complex issue. Right. And there's so many, um, there's so many like factors that go into it, but for specifically for women's leadership, we're looking for that equity and equality for people to see these strengths that women hold and value them, like value the ability to multitask or value the ability to empathize with the consumer rather than write off what they're saying. The ability, like some of those are strengths that are like so uniquely feminine and not that men can't have them, but that like they're just based off of oppression. They've been just kind of like discarded as not valuable. But Mm -hmm. if my, my ability to like listen to somebody tell me about how this business making X amount of money means that they're going to be able to do X, Y, and Z 
for their team member who has a kid that needs XYZ service, like my ability to like listen to that and like connect so deeply that I could tear up listening is a huge skill and key skill to my leadership because like I'm going to work harder because I know that this is the impact it's making. And I think it's just about like redefining what that looks like. But a lot of it for the immediate means calling other people, calling your peers and calling the like people around you to, to treat you with respect. And for minority groups specifically, it's really difficult for women. It's really difficult, but it's possible. Like it's possible. It's just, and also like, it's also you making sure that you have like HR policies and practices in place so that people can't talk to you like that. But right. it's also about like knowing yourself and being and listening and saying, you know what, uh, if, if I were the leader in this situation, I wouldn't let somebody talk to somebody I'm leading like this. So I can't let them talk to me like this now. And then hold, like holding the line because you set examples. Uh, personally, in my leadership, what I do is I like watch a lot of videos of leaders, all different types. I like will read books by different leaders. And rather than like make them my role model, I'll highlight responses that they've had to things that I think were exactly how I'd like to respond if I was faced with that. So instead of like, mm-hmm. instead of like putting all your eggs in, like, I want to be exactly like X person instead saying like, you know what? I hope when I'm faced with that, that I can respond with that kind of integrity or that I can do those types of things and coming up with those examples that you have them to pull from in your toolkit of leadership is really what allows you to be successful because there people there will be sp- there's space there's space for different leadership there's space for diversity of leadership and diversity of thought but the resistance against it just has to like be trained and be led into how to show respect unfortunately mm-hmm. but it's it's where it is now yeah. it's good to have those tools so it doesn't always feel like you're creating some a new solution yeah i think it's also fair to say it's not too much to ask for the same respect as everybody mm-hmm. else I think yeah. sometimes and and I'm not a very like politically correct person or like some of I think people tack on political correctness and other things to the general mission of people should be treated with respect and treated equally despite any sort of differences. I think people tack on those things to that mission, which really just gets in the way. The the most important part is that you should be treating anybody in any position with respect, and it doesn't matter who they are, what gender they are, if they're a minority or not, it should just be respected and they're in that position. So yeah. it's it's such an interesting time now because we've made so much progress, but there's still like pockets and areas where it's like, that's just not really the case. And I think when you come upon those, uh, especially for a lot of people now, it's like surprising. You're like, wait, 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 it's 2022. Like, is this still... <laughs> This is still a thing. We're still dealing with this. Yeah. And I think that's like, it's part of the, it's part of the problem, right? It's like, oh, like you're surprised when these things happen because it's people, like people are so embarrassed when like, I'm old, when like somebody does, when some, somebody like does something that I'm like, oh, that was, they were seriously, they seriously were disrespectful to me. I'm like, that was embarrassing that I allowed myself to be disrespected. Like, and so then maybe I not I might mm-hmm. not I might be inclined to not mention it. Where in reality, right. if I was like, "Hey Ben, I can you believe this thing just happened?" You'd be like, "Oh my gosh, that's still happening in 2020." Like that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But there's also like a certain level of embarrassment that comes with like 
uh, I'm in a position of power and somebody just talked to me like this. I don't want to think about that ever again. Like that's, and that's yeah. kind of like, that's something that's like an extra layer of like, people also have to get okay with like being honest about what their experience has been so that we can really like help. And I think um, it's just like, it's such a complex problem, but with, but with like leadership and with the ways that things are changing, it's just really about holding you like holding your boundaries and like holding that space for yourself first and like remembering that like to I try to remind myself to like become the kind of leader that I that I want like I would want to have and if we have a diverse space of diverse leaders that are all being the leader that they wish they had a lot of people are going to see representation of themselves within places so like Somebody recently asked me, like, well, what are you what will you be happy with when businesses are like 50% men, 50% women, like led led? And I was like, no, not particularly. Like it's not it's not 50-50 that I'm looking for. I'm looking for like diversity in everything. Like I'm looking for my, I'm looking for to like walk into a room and for everyone to be bringing a different perspective. I don't need half men and then half women. Diversity of thought. Like I need the diversity of thought. I need the diversity of background. I need socioeconomic diversity backgrounds. I need racial diversity i need just uh sexual and gender identity diversity like you need d- diversity in all of it so that your thoughts are better like it's so much nicer to come into a room where somebody thinks differently than you because it pushes your idea to get better and that's like it's, i'm not looking for 50 50 i'm looking for like a genuine mix because if you can promote all these minority-owned businesses and start to level this playing field and show this representation you're also going to get better products and services that are more applicable to larger markets and it's going to create greater success. So it's, it's really right. like, it's about bringing a lot of diversity of thought and diversity of thought comes from different backgrounds. It comes from bringing a lot of people from different backgrounds. Yeah. That's huge. Nail on the head, right? <laughs> I mean, especially when you're talking about marketing and, and in a place like the United States, right? You can't yeah. take a team of all one race and all one gender and be like, okay, you're going to pitch a product to the average American and it needs to be successful. It's going to be really challenging for that group to do it. If they all come from the same background, look the same, act the same and think the same, Mm -hmm. because that's not how the United States or the world is. You have all of this diversity. So to put that diversity of thought, especially into what your marketing and your branding is, I mean, it's essential. That's how you're successful. Yeah. And it, and it allows you to like, just create things that are more complex and more interesting. It's not that interesting if a bunch of people that look the same create a product for a bunch of people that look the same and act the same. Like it's not an interesting and complex thing. It's way more fun to have like to have a diverse team that creates a diverse campaign for a product that solves a variety of issues for all different people. Um, and it just it makes it it makes work more fun, but it also makes the market more fun. Yeah. It makes the competition in the market higher and like that higher competition means everybody's working a little harder for their space and it's it's that's kind of like what i'm working towards so it's i could never like when that person asked me like oh 50 50 i was like oh i know that's not what i want (laughs) like i know that that's not what i want right i want one percent of everything like i want a lot of things all to make much better a much better marketplace for small businesses for sure well, awesome. Claire, this has been great. Really enjoyed uh, having a good conversation with you. Where can people find your stuff and support you? Yeah. So first and foremost, Elise and I will have a podcast launching in the next couple of weeks. We will be wow 
look at, we'll be focusing on real and raw conversation about what it looks like to build a business. So every week we're just going to get together and talk about what we went through that week and what's going on for uh, women owned and small businesses. So that will be launching soon. I think by the time this podcast launches, we will be in recording. So we'll have that out. That's great. Follow the, if you, if you're interested, if you want to hear more about what it's like to build a business and the challenges and the little messy bits of it, we're looking for like, we're going to have a pretty fun podcast coming out. And you can find that through our Instagram, which is at ringlet studio. Um, and if you also, if you want to reach out to me, if there's any questions you have after having heard this, you are welcome to just email me. It's my name, Claire, at ringletstudio.com. And I'm always happy to answer questions. Um, I'm happy to connect with people who are interested in this type of work. Perfect. Awesome. And guys, if you want to check out more about Tots Podcast, easiest place to do that is totspodcast.com. You can also follow us on social media where I'll be giving you guys updates on new guests like Claire and also some other show stuff. Best place to do that is on Instagram for the updates. We also just blew up on TikTok. Uh, shout out to my little brother for dressing in a banana costume and setting his cereal on fire somehow. That that just really took us by storm. Uh, so thank you uh, for anybody who's listening that came from TikTok. Definitely go follow us on Instagram and TikTok. That's at TotsCast. If you want to listen to other episodes of the show, best place to do that is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Thank you guys for listening. You let me have uh, cool people like Claire on all the time. So I really appreciate it. And uh, I will see you in two Wednesdays. Bye.